Welcome to Tokyo Jazz Joints, five days in June. This is part one. Okay, welcome to Tokyo Jazz Joints. I'm not going to say episode 33 because... Although technically it is episode 33, we're going to approach the next few episodes in a slightly different format. We're going to call this series Five Days in June. And of course, the reason for that is, if you're a regular listener, you'll probably already know that uh, when I left Japan back in July of 2017, I uh, didn't know I'd be back as soon as the following year. But I did then return that following summer uh, in 2018 in in June uh, and James and I had been planning for many months by this point a fairly extensive tour around uh, the further flung regions of Japan to try and pick off some of the joints that we just simply hadn't had the chance to get to uh, when we when I when we were both living there or indeed ones that in many cases we had never even heard of and actually discovered on this trip so we're really really excited to bring you these next few episodes um, and we're going to take you uh, on that journey with us. Uh, and it's going to be an interesting challenge for me, James, because uh, I do think of myself sometimes as a multitasker, but as opposed to just having the microphone and the audio set up and the website with the photographs, would you believe it? I've also got my phone on the go as well so that we can not only uh, look at the photos of the joints, but we can also look at some of the other photos as well. Because I think this kind of series is slightly distinct in the sense that, of course, Normally, we meet at the place or we meet at the station, we go, we photograph it, we enjoy the joint uh, and we say our goodbyes. But of course, this time we were pretty much constantly in each other's orbit for five full days. And uh, I, I think it's safe to say that we definitely learned a lot more about each other, wouldn't you say? Well, I would say that uh, that is 100% true. Five days in June, indeed, a, a very interesting, exciting, and sometimes challenging vacation. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe equally challenging for our listeners who are about to uh, to join us for for uh, us retelling these five days. Uh, but yes, it was. I can't believe it was already two and a half years ago. And I, know. I remember when we were talking about the idea you know, we, we didn't know whether to concentrate on one particular region and just do it comprehensively or hop around. And and for some reason, well lost logic at this point, we picked both the northernmost part of Japan, the island of Hokkaido, and the southernmost major island, Kyushu, over the course of five days. Um, there must have been a reason. I failed to remember what it was. It did work out in the end, but perhaps not the best route that we could have taken in retrospect. I think we modeled it on um, a lengthier free jazz solo, didn't we? So, you know, it's all over the place, let's be honest. But just for context, uh, in that trip, which was, I, I think, about three and a half weeks, I managed to document uh, another 40 places uh, photographically. And again, just for context, 30 of those 40 uh, we did together in five, five and a half days. So to say it was a whirlwind tour, I think uh, would probably be an understatement. And I'm really excited uh, to recount it and reminisce. I've been chuckling away to myself <laughs> this morning, discovering some of the photos. I'm looking just right now at one of you with your head slumped in one of those tiny little porthole windows on an airplane. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, with I, your you sunglasses know, on. 
as we've talked about, there are <laughs> there were at least three or four dozen pictures of me slumped somewhere during the course <laughs> of our two and a half years of uh, of doing this project together. Uh, but yeah, there were definitely some moments on the trip. And yeah, I had the same thing. You know, I was going back to check my notes in, in my little diary that I carry with me everywhere, my jazz diary. Um, and there were a lot of things that I had forgotten, you know, about the journey itself, little things that maybe didn't come out in the photos. Um, details of how we got there, sometimes uh, in very roundabout ways. And so I'm absolutely thrilled that we're going to dive deep into this and share it. And I think that, you know, anybody who's listening, they've come with us this far. I think they're going to enjoy this little departure and a little bit of a change in format. Um, but as always, make sure you're at TokyoJazzJoints.com to open up, look at the photos as we go into detail and where are we starting so day one um i believe philip we met very early in the day at lovely haneda airport we did yeah i've uh i've i'm looking at our itinerary that we put together on on google docs and yeah it was pretty early and if you've never been to haneda airport the domestic terminal is fairly large but there's really not much in it and I remember thinking, oh, I'll pick up some breakfast at the airport. And then when I got there, I think, again, it was that kind of search that you end up uh, finding yourself doing sometimes in Japan, trying to find just something a little bit more comforting than a pork katsu sandwich. Yeah, I, uh, luckily, I live much closer to Haneda and uh, was able to to get, you know, f- well-fed and, and drunk up at my house before I left. Uh, I do have in my notes here, Philip needs coffee desperately or else, quote, will not be pleasant to be around all day. And then my note, as opposed to usual. Uh, I'm glad, but in any case, I'm glad that do, you've made notes of your burns. That's uh, I, that's very I, well prepared. Yes, I mean, yes. I do I, remember I say, you do getting a big coffee, a, a big coffee, and and a couple sandwiches uh, before we got on the plane. Though. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted like a croissant, you know, just something really plain, really <laughs> simple. But I just remember I couldn't find it, or at least I could only find one of those ones that comes in the in the pre-packed plastic bag always, that you get in convenience stores. Always the European, always the European. Well, um, anyway, Haneda, very you know, a, a great central airport and. You know, Japan being, you know, a long country, but not really that large comparatively. It's a pretty short flight. I think it was about, about 90 minutes for us yeah. to get from Tokyo to the port city of Hakodate, which is in the island of, of Hokkaido. And Hakodate, uh, this was my first time visiting. Um, actually, never never been there before. And it's a pretty unique spot. In Japan, it's a very old port town. It's got a lot of Russian influence. Uh, there was a lot of Russian churches. Uh, many of the so-called white Russians after the revolution settled um, in Hakodate. So uh, it's a little bit of a European-style vibe to the town. Um, you know, it's very hilly. There's a lot of big houses. And, I mean, we landed and pretty much straight away ended up walking up a big hill to the first place. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. And we mentioned Hakodate in a previous episode, actually, because it was one of the first places to open up in Japan when Japan did open up uh, to initially to the Americans and then to other, other countries as well. After being closed for, you know, 250 years, uh, Kobe and Yokohama, of course, were the others. And so it, it does have that feel. Um, there's very much still evidence of that early European influence. And again, there, there's parts of it very that would really put you in mind of somewhere like San Francisco, the the kind of the, the style of the timber style houses and this idea that you're up on a hill and looking down towards the port. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you feel almost like you're not really in Japan or certainly the Japan that you're perhaps more used to seeing if you're living down oh, uh, yeah, in Tokyo sure. and there's so a- on. Again, just geographically speaking, 
in Sapporo and, and other parts of Hokkaido, you're actually much closer in many cases to Russia than you are to Tokyo or mm-hmm. other parts of Japan. And so there has definitely recently, I think, been a lot uh, of a lot more Russians visiting Japan. And also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a lot more anti-Russian sentiment. I know I've read quite a few <laughs> news articles where um, perhaps uh, the people up there in Hokkaido are not necessarily always as welcoming uh, to the more recent Russian uh, influx of, of, well, of tourists. Well, I, I think we could, we could probably sum it up just by saying that uh, Russian bathhouse culture uh, and custom is quite different to Japanese bathhouse custom. And yeah. I guess we could just leave it at that. Um, I noticed right away in Hakodate, there's quite a few churches um, as yeah. well, which is you don't always see in Japan. And you, you really know that you're up north because I, I picked it up immediately because where I come from uh, in the northeast, in the U.S., it's you know we got very, very cold winters. So a lot of houses have double glazing on their mm. windows. And um, I noticed it right away because I'd never seen this in Japan before, that everybody had double glazing on their windows and the entries of houses and shops often had sort of a double type of entry because to keep the wind and snow out so yeah it has a lot of different things that felt different um, including those great views of the water everywhere you go because you're wandering up and down these hills um, but uh, you know right away we, we we got our map out and it was it was a little bit of a good walk uh, to get to the first place and was, you know yeah. speaking of western housing I mean this if you look at the picture we're going to a place called Soen S-O hyphen en and you can tell right away i mean that does not look like most houses that you would find anywhere else in japan beautiful beautiful place by the way just just from the outside yeah it was gorgeous i mean i think this is definitely one of those places that we had a question mark over and i know when when it came to hokkaido there was a few other places that we hoped to get to but it's deceptively large um it's often seen as kind of japan's final frontier in terms of you know there's not maybe as much development parts of it when you're driving around looks not dissimilar to somewhere like uh, the countryside in Ireland or in Scotland and so a uh, very mountainous place and um, certainly when we got here uh, we were pleasantly surprised because as you say it was in this beautiful uh, old house and then even inside it just had this really warm uh, really sort of comforting wooden feel to it you know very much like a, a chalet or a, a kind of mountain cabin type vibe uh, but also, just in and in and of itself, uh, an incredibly historic, clearly uh, an incredibly um, uh, beautiful jazz place. I mean, the two things that really stood out for me um, were the sound system with this really unusual um, line drawing of Sonny Rollins uh, just stuck above the 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 amplifier, and then of course that incredible record room that's sort of hidden behind the the door look at that i mean that record room is the size of some bars in tokyo yeah we had that you and i have been to so that was i mean just a just a fantastic uh view as soon as we come in it's on the right side and it's just like it takes your breath away and you're right the, the the um that matchbook collage we've mentioned many times about how the jazz kisa 10 and bars over the years and decades would use matchbooks instead of business cards especially because in those days, probably almost all their customers were smoking. Um, and usually uh, when you see them, you just see the actual matchbook. They might have them, you know, in a little box or something. But here they've been flattened out and, and framed. Hadn't ever seen it 
them put up like that. And I mean, she has a lot of them in there. The current owner um, it was her father who opened the place 60 years ago. So That's she right, took, yeah. it, took it over from him when he passed away. And it's really amazing because, you know, she opens early. That's why we, we went there first. Uh, I think we got there around maybe 1030 in the morning. It was early, coffee. yeah. yeah. Um, and still has live events in there as well. It's kind of two separate rooms. One one room looked a little bit more like a traditional sort of cafe, and then the main room where the audio system was was very, very jazzy, satanish. And so you get a mixture of locals who may just come by who know her in the neighborhood to have their tea and coffee, but also people who come for the music. I got my first decent coffee of the day there too. I mean, it's gorgeous. <laughs> and no again, it's it, it, it had that sort of tea house feel as well. You know, we got the beautiful... Um, we got the coffee and I think there might have been cake involved as well, but we got coffee in these beautiful um, Japanese style pottery cups. And mm. I just remember thinking, you know, and, and there was really nice little touches, you know, some flowers and things like that, fresh flowers around. Um, there's one shot I have on my phone, which I will uh, post on the social media channels with yourself, of course, in the corner, uh, very artistically cropped out. And then just the handle of your uh, suitcase sticking up there. So we weren't messing around. I mean, we got to Hokkaido. There was no there was no uh, sightseeing or, or tourist no. stuff. We walked no. up that hill and we got straight on with it. And um, it was yeah. a beautiful, beautiful place to start. Oh, and, absolutely. Gorgeous, and look at the, the last picture with the sign again. That kind of um, that kind of style that of the Sonny Rollins one you mentioned, the sign outside of yeah. Soen looks like kind of a Joe Zawinul type of face. Um, but the surrounding area, you can see how green it is. I mean, that's just so clearly not anywhere in the Tokyo metropolitan area. Yeah. You know that you're in a very different place, and it really reminded me of the U.S. The Japanese often say though that uh, that Hokkaido is very similar in its yeah. geography to the United States. Yeah. You know? I think in in terms of you know where we've placed this place in in the the series of episodes, it's nice uh, to come back to to look at these matchbooks because as you scroll through it, I suspect perhaps the collage was neater at some point, and you can see at the top there a few have s slipped down over the years. Like you said, it's I think almost sixty yeah. years it's been going, but so many of the places that we've covered, you know, uh, intros in there, uh, Doug. Uh, also Dig, of course, the original <laughs> yes, Charmons so, there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I see Yamatoya there uh, as well. And then a few Even mysterious places that we've never there. heard of, like Top of yeah. the Gate. Uh, there is a place in there called... Um, Dave. Morocco. Never heard, never heard of Dave or Morocco. Yeah, yeah. so uh, amazing. And just again, it shows you, if you're really interested in the history of the jazz Kisa mm. culture, just how many of these places existed at one point in time. Well, one of the most famous, just a little bit to the right of Modern Jazz Pony, is you see the trumpet, uh, is uh, Hibiki. Yeah. Hibiki was one of the most well-known Kisuten, closed many, many years ago. We never got the chance to visit, but it's one that you always see the matchbooks for, and you always read about it in the magazines. I think it was one of those places that was kind of like Doug, that it was a sort of a central spot, uh, not in Shinjuku, but where a lot of like musicians and artists and people in the industry would hang out. So... Um, yeah, it's kind of one of those lost uh, lost grails, you know. And then, of course, the uh, the Scottish uh, jazz joint at the top there. I don't know if you've seen that. Mac in the room. <laughs> uh, didn't realize there was a Scottish influence, but there you go. Mac in room. I'm sure they had good whiskey, though. <laughs> They're only advertising jazz, vocal, and tea room. We know that's a lie. Anyway, <laughs> so 
Um, so en, that was so en, a, a beautiful way to start the day and an amazing way to start the trip. Nice coffee, bit of cake. Uh, we had a lovely chat to the owner uh, and again, just an incredible, incredible place that I, I, I suspect not many people, unless you make the effort to go up to Hakodate. And even if you're in Hakodate, you've got to really get outside the town to find this place. Uh, it's unlikely that you're going to get a chance to go to. Uh, so the next best thing you can do, obviously, is to go over to the website. And all the places that we're talking about uh, in this five-day trip are all going to be up on the website. So uh, like I said before, Tokyo jazzjoints.com forward slash and usually if you plug in the name of the place at the end there uh, if it's two words it probably has a hyphen you'll be able to find it if you can't find it just go to the joints we're going to be in the regions tabs the whole time over the next five days uh, and uh, you can find it there alphabetically as well so really a good idea to look at the photographs as we talk about them of course because uh, it should really help bring it bring it to life even more than just our fantastic uh, narrative skills do. So what do we go after so end, James? We took a, a wander down the hill, didn't we? I think, were we on a tram at some point? We did, yes, we did. We got on a, we got on a lovely streetcar and it took us down the hill to a legendary place. Again, a little bit of confusion with the naming, just for a few moments. Not as bad as the Bunka Banka debacle of episodes past. Uh, but we went down to Cafe Bop previously previously known as Duke. And Cafe Bop, I have to say, uh, even after all the places that we had visited by this point, um, I was not prepared for this. I don't think we had done much, much research about what this place was and who the owner was. Um, and so when we walked in, I was I was almost just speechless. Um, the owner, as you got in a lovely picture of him sitting at one of the tables there, uh, is uh, Matsuura-san. He's quite old. I believe he was already 80 at the time uh, when we met him. And he is a photographer. He has been a photographer taking pictures of jazz musicians for decades. I mean, since he was a young man. And like a lot of the cafe owners that we have spoke about on previous shows, um, he was involved in getting gigs coming up to Hokkaido. I did not realize that um, we knew that the jazz musicians who came from America mostly would play all around Japan. We talked about Mokuba and Guma. We've talked about other regional cities where these owners would sort of, you know, work to promote gigs with the local city authorities. I didn't realize that it had all extended all the way up to Hokkaido. So this was a real surprise for a lot of reasons. And I mean, I remember it was so strange. He he immediately sort of got what we were talking about and why we came. He didn't act at all surprised. No. And, um, you know, he said, okay, sit down. And he started to talk to us and show us all the photos that he had. And you can just see from some of the pictures, look at the amount of pictures he has up on the wall, these yeah. incredible portraits. Well, I think, you know, this place stands out in my mind as one of the most incredible experiences that we've had because... As you can probably see from the photographs, the more eagle-eyed listeners will spot that um, not only um, does he have the John Coltrane ticket stub from the uh, the only time that Coltrane visited Japan, but in addition to that, of course, he managed to get a portrait of Coltrane signed. Uh, and as if that's not enough, if you just move to the left, you can see he also has a portrait of Miles Davis signed. And then slip over to the right and Thelonious Monk's portrait uh, is also signed there as well. So just hanging on the wall there, um, an unbelievable slice of jazz history, of jazz memorabilia, and just certainly, if you're a jazz fan, completely 
and utterly priceless. It's absolutely incredible. And then, as if that wasn't enough, once we got chatting uh, about Coltrane in particular, and we, we pointed out this photograph, he headed off to behind the bar where he produced a shoebox. And this is definitely one of those memories, James, that uh, if I make it to, to as old as, as Matsura-san here and I'm sitting somewhere waffling on about uh, the good times living in Japan and wandering around jazz joints, and my grandchildren, if I have any, are thinking, what the hell is he on about? Uh, this will be one of the stories I'll be telling because he opened up this shoebox and just in there he had uh, rows and rows of negatives of the photographs that he had taken when he went to to see Coltrane uh, and sneaked his camera in because in those days uh, a lot of times you weren't allowed to take a camera in unless you were officially a photographer. So he told us that he sneaked his camera in and he had these negatives just sitting in a shoebox behind the bar of Coltrane playing live in Japan. And I just will never forget the sort of jaw-dropping impact that that had on me. And yet to him, it was just like he was showing you something that, you know, he just pulled off a shelf and was no big thing. And and I took some photographs of them with my phone. Uh, I will post them on social media, but they're just, it's just astonishing. I mean, you just wonder, first of all, how do these things exist today? And also perhaps more worryingly, like what will happen to all this jazz history? Oh, I know. I mean, go? that's something, yeah, completely, you know, we've we've gone on and on about that, about how we so worry about these places, you know, do the owners, um, as they pass into retirement or they, they become unable to run the joint, you know, what's going to happen to the place, but also what's going to happen to their collections of vinyl, and in this case, these unbelievable pictures. And it's really strange, too, because, you know, you think about John Coltrane came to Japan before either of us were born, and yet we're coming in more than 60 years, 55 years later, just absolutely speechless in awe that not only did this guy go to the gig, that would have been enough for me. It would have been like, you saw Coltrane when he was here, you know, and I've heard that before here and there from people, but was able to get those photos taken. It's it's an absolute treasure. I mean, everything in this little cafe to me was a treasure. The pictures and what about the door? Remember the story about the door? You got a picture of it there where you, uh, next to Charlie Parker. Yeah, that, I mean, this is the only door. This is, this is the only joint comes, that we've ever been to where a toilet door was hanging on the wall. <laughs> yeah. right? Well, what happened is the original space that they had had a fire. Yeah. Uh, but he was able to salvage the door because that had been signed by so many visiting musicians. Yeah. And if you if you look in at the photo and, and scroll in just a little bit, you can make out some very serious names in there. Yeah. Um, for me, obviously, the highlight is Mal Waldron <laughs> down near the bottom in the middle. When I saw that, I, I and I knew Mal Waldron had been all around Japan, but he'd actually come up here and hung out in 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 Bop in the Bop Cafe. I mean, just just stunning. One thing after another in this place was just a knockout. It's amazing. I mean, you you wouldn't necessarily even make that connection. I mean, the, the kanji up at the top uh, indicates that it is a bathroom door, and you can see there there's a little sign uh, telling you to push. Obviously, if you push, nothing happens now, but the fact that that was salvaged and then displayed on the wall uh, is just astonishing. And uh, I think this place is, is definitely going to be probably one of the standout joints for me. I mean, just from a, yeah. a, a purely ambience point of view, also the experience of meeting the owner and then that yeah. incredible reveal of the... And, um, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, I had I almost forgotten about Bop. And when I came back to look at the pictures to, to prepare to talk about it, it all came back to me, you know? And, I mean, man, if I had that door, I would have that in my living room. 
You know, I mean, that's just priceless, man. I don't know what my wife would think of an old jazz cafe toilet door, but she's sort of used to my idiosyncratic uh, hobby at this point. She might just just nod it off. But I, I suspect that's a, that's it wouldn't stay there long. But <laughs> I mean, I've met, yeah, I've met Wack, and I, I suspect it won't stay there long. But <laughs> I mean, she might she might humor you, have it up for a day or two, and then as soon as you head off to a jazz joint, it'll be coming down. Um, but yeah. Uh, do we know anything about the the actual toilet door? I mean, obviously, apart from the fact that there's this what what almost looks like a handwritten poster for the uh, modern jazz quartet, which is also signed by them. There's a a, a photograph above, which I suspect is a musician playing in the original bop, and unfortunately, it's it's too small to see. But it actually oh, I know. I think I remember that that yes, that is uh, that is a Japanese musician, but is I it? don't remember. I looked in my notes and I couldn't find. Um, I, you know, it was like so often uh, when we go in these places, you're you're talking in Japanese, you're trying to take the notes a mile a minute in English. Sometimes things get lost. And of course, we were on a really tight schedule, too. I think we only stayed in Bob for about 40 minutes, whereas if it had been one of our usual visits, we would have probably stayed two hours or even you know more than that all day because it was so special. So I didn't get all the details, but I do know that he uh, had... Uh, helped to record several famous Japanese jazz albums. And so he was very well connected to the local scene too. And I think that that portrait is of, of, of a pianist. I don't know who it is though. Okay. I might uh, have a look at the original photo, see if I can get right in there and um, and figure out uh, who that is. But um, in the meantime, uh, let's leave Bop or Duke or Bop or whichever you prefer. You'll see as well from the photographs that they've managed, they've actually sort of kept the signs or uh, th- you still got the long key coffee sign, which has the original mm. or has Duke as a name. And then obviously the one outside, uh, for those of you who don't read Katakana, says Bop. So, you know, it's Cafe Bop on the front um, and uh, Duke then on the wall. And it was good to get in there and uh, get that confusion uh, cleared up. I should just say for our listeners who are in Japan and are able to do any domestic travel at the moment uh, while we record this it's still a little dodgy worldwide with the pandemic but um bop is still open and i understand matsuda-san is still there with his lovely wife um but his health was not very good when we met him no. very clearly we picked that up quite quickly and this was two and a half years ago um so uh, you know as always not to be grim but with the very precarious nature of these jazz cafes, um, if you do have the chance, don't delay because you never know. We've gone over it so many times in one special episode we did all on closed places. Uh, you know, if you're interested in this, go visit while you can. You will not regret it. Spend the whole day at this cafe if you need to. It's just an absolute treasure. What you'll also see, actually, just uh, which my phone has. Uh, revealed to me is that when you go through that door towards the toilet, there's another door uh, and uh, one of those more famous and more common jazz icons, James, is on the toilet door uh, in the inner sanctum. Marilyn Monroe, of course, huge black and white poster of of her on the toilet door uh, when you go past there. So good to see her, um, you know, taking up her usual spot. It does seem to be that she features heavily in bathrooms and toilets. I'm not sure uh, what the reason for that is. This podcast was produced and created by Philip Arneal and James Catchpole of the Tokyo Jazz Joints Project. Thanks to Brian of Grooves Ahead for audio assistance and also to Louis Elastic for our theme music. <laughs>